Chapter 3 of The Heart of Hyacinth by Onoto Watana Obume was busily engaged in the kitchen. The milk over the fire had begun to bubble. With a large wooden stick, she stirred it. Then she returned to her rice. As she pounded it into flat cakes, her old face, with its hundred wrinkles, was contorted, and she muttered and talked to herself as she worked. It was like some old witch breathing incantations. At the threshold of the room stood Comer. His eyes were very wide open, and his cheeks were flushed. At his side, his little hands were sharply clenched. His whole attitude betokened excitement and impatience. Suddenly he clasped his hands so loudly and sharply that the old woman started in fright. Then, catching sight of the little intruder, she hobbled towards him on her heels, her tongue in angry apparition. Now, who but an evil one would frighten an old woman? Shame upon you, naughty one. Oh, Mume, you are so slow, the evil one will catch you. Just see, the milk boils over. Still you do not hasten. Yet the illustrious ones are ill, very ill. Shh, scolded the old woman, as she poured the steaming milk into a shallow bowl and broke pieces of the rice bread into it. What would you advise, old Mume, about such matters? Would you have me burn the honourable babe? She cooled the preparation with her hands fanning it back and forth across the bowl. Coma watched her a moment with smouldering eyes. Suddenly he started, his little ears alert and attentive. A cry, thin and piping at first, grew in volume. Was it possible that so small a thing could fill the house with its noise? Coma strode to the fire, seized the bowl with both hands, and before the grumbling old servant could interfere, he was gone with it from the room and speeding along the hall. With his fingertips on the closed shoji of the guest chamber, he tapped gently. It was softly pushed aside, and I appeared in the opening. Stepping into the hall, she closed the sliding screens behind her. The boy spoke in an eager whisper. Here is the milk the honourable one desired. Where did you obtain it, son? In the village. And see, we have warmed it, for it was quite cold. It is good goat's milk. Such a good son, whispered I and stooped to kiss the upraised face ere she returned to the sick chamber. Coma crouched down on the floor by the door. He could hear within the soft glide of his mother's feet across the floor. There was a murmuring of indistinguishable words. Then that voice, with its strange accent, seemed to pierce and reach something in the boy. The voice was weak now, but its exquisite clearness was not dulled. Then Coma heard the movement of the lifting of the babe, a little cry or two, then little gurgling, satisfied gasps. The babe was being fed with the milk he had procured. It gave Comer a strange satisfaction, a warm delight. He stretched out his little limbs across the floor. He too was satisfied. All was now well. Gradually his head drooped backward, and Komazawa fell into a slumber. Within, the stranger was imparting bits of her history to the sympathetic Aoi. She was hardly conscious of her words, which were spoken through her semi-delirium. Her feverish eyes, wide open, shone up into the bending face of Aoi, and held the Japanese woman with her piteous appeal. She seemed soothed under the gentle touch of Aoi's hand on her brow. Pray thee to sleep, gently the Japanese woman persuaded her. She was quiet a moment, only to start up the next. Nay, entreated Aoi, sleep first, tomorrow speak. Rest, I pray you. It was so long, so long, 
cried the woman on the bed, clasping her thin hands across those on her head. And oh, the pain, the agony of it all. I was so tired, so... Her body palpitated and quivered with the sighing sobs that shook her. She sprung up suddenly, pushing away from her the hands of Aoi, which gently attempted to restrain her. It was wrong. It was all wrong. Quite wrong from the first. But what do they care? They had their wedding. Oh, I tell you, they're bad, all bad. Oh, it was cruel, cruel. Ah, thought Aoi sadly. She too has been pierced with anguish. Truly my heart breaks in sympathy with her. She bent over the quivering woman, her pitying face close to hers. Pray thee, dear one, take rest and comfort, she said, smoothing softly her brow. Ah, you are so good, so good, said the sick woman. You are not like those others, those fearful people. She covered her eyes with her thin hands as if to shut out a vision of some horror. God will bless you, bless you for your goodness to me, she said. Exhausted, she lay back among the pillows, her eyes closed. How grateful to her must have felt that great English bed with its soft coverlets. For how many days had she wandered without sight or word of her own people? Her thin, fine lips quivered unceasingly, while her blue eyes held a constant mist, seemingly haunted by some troubled spectre that pursued her ceaselessly. Once she raised her hands feebly, then plucked at the coverlet with long, white fingers. What a death! Oh, what a death! he whispered faintly. After a long silence, her voice raised itself to the pitch of one delirious. If I could see. Her words came slowly and with difficulty, and she repeated them ramblingly. If I could only see a white face, a white, one of my own people, for so long, and oh me, mamma, mamma. Ah, dear lady, said I, if you will but deign to rest, I will go forth and endeavour to find some of your people. There are white people in the next town. It is not far, not very far, and perhaps, ah, surely they will come to you. My people, the woman repeated. No! Her voice became hoarse. She started up in her bed. You do not understand. I must never, never see them again. I could not bear it. They're cruel, wicked. No, I, you shall promise me. Promise me. She fell back, exhausted from her transport of passion. I, I knelt beside her and took her hands within her own. I will promise you whatever you wish, dear lady. Only speak your desires to me. I will humbly try to carry them out. The sick woman's voice was so weak that she scarce could raise it above a whisper. But her words were plain. Promise me that you will not give them, my little one, when I am gone. You are good and will be kind to her. Oh, will you not? I would not be happy. I could not rest in peace if she were sent to... to him. Her words rambled off again. I left him, she said. Ran away, far away, far away and the country was all strange to me, and I could not find my way. Everyone stared at me. It must have been because I had gone mad, you know, quite mad. 
All women do. I wanted to put a great distance between us, to get beyond his sight, beyond the sound of his voice, beyond. Ah, oh, do not speak more, entreated I, now in tears. Why, you are crying, said the sick woman, looking wistfully into Ari's face. She began to weep weakly, impotently, herself. After a time she became quieter. He started once again when Aori had snuffed a few of the lights, seeming to dread the darkness. But when the Japanese woman's hands reassured her, she was again silent, and as she slept, she still clung spasmodically to the hands of Aori. Chapter 4 Morning dawned with a haggard light. Ceaselessly, the rain drizzled down. The torpid heat of the previous day had given place to a clammy chilliness. The weather oppressed the sick one, for restlessness was gone, but passive quiet was more ominous. Her white face seemed to have shrunken through the night, so white, and still it was that she seemed scarcely to breathe. Too weak to bear the burden of her child against her, the mother permitted the little one to be cared for in an interior room, lest its cries might disturb her. All through the day she spoke no word. Wearily, the heavy lids of her eyes were closed. As the day began to wane, Aoi, thoroughly alarmed, summoned the village doctor, a very old and learned man he was considered. He felt the women's hands, listened to her breathing, with his ear against her lips. Very cold her hands were, but her breathing was regular, though faint. The doctor looked grave, solemn, and wise. He shook his bald head ominously. So long has the Honourable One been thus? Since early morn, sir, doctor. She awoke from her night's sleep, only to fall into this condition. The woman has but a short space of life left to her, said the doctor solemnly. I trembled. Her people, she began falteringly. Oh, good sir, doctor, it is very, very sad. So young, ah, so beautiful. Seeming not to share or understand Ari's sympathy, the doctor gathered up his instruments and simples slowly, meanwhile glancing uneasily towards the face of the sick woman. He turned suddenly to Aoi. Madame, he said, the village sympathizes with you with the infliction placed upon you by this enforced guest, but you do not finish, sir doctor. The woman became a nuisance at the tavern. The people there were not Kirishitans, Christians, and were, moreover, in ignorance of the woman's speech. They could only comprehend that she wished to be taken to some one of her own people. So, madame, you... I, being of her people said I, with simple dignity. She was brought to me. That was right. I thank my neighbours for their kindness. I am honoured indeed with such a guest. She is welcome. The doctor moved towards the door. It is well, and will not accompany the mother on her last journey. What will become of it? I did not reply. It is desired by you, Madame I, said the doctor, endeavouring to be kind. I will immediately dispatch word to the city to send notification to the nearest open port. There surely must be some consul or representative of the woman's country. To them the child should go. I spoke swiftly. The poor ones, people were unkind to her and cruel. How can we tell but that they might also abuse the child? That is the affair of the child, Madame I. Pray accept my counsel. Send the child. Interrupted by the sudden entrance of little Komazawa, he did not finish. The boy had evidently heard all. 
through the thin partition doors against which he leaned, listening intently. He thrust himself now before the doctor, with eyes purpled by excitement. His tense little body quivered. Sir, doctor, he said in a voice new even to his mother. It was so strong and haughty. You make mistake. The child is already among its own people. Here in my father's house, all people are English. So the child belongs to us, since the mother did present it to us. It is a gift of the good God. Smiling and frowning together, the little doctor bowed ironically to the little fellow facing him. Then will the august one enlighten me as to whether he will make an effort to find the child's legal guardians? That is our affair, Sir Doctor, but I will answer. We will ask advice of the good excellency when he returns. He is in Sendai even now. He will be in our village tonight. The doctor bowed himself out, and Coma turned to his mother, a question in his eyes. I nodded sadly. The poor white woman would die, had said the Sir Doctor. Kamazawa approached the bed softly, until he stood by the woman's side, looking down fixedly upon her. How white was the still face! How beautiful the long lashes that swept the cheeks! How wonderful and sunlike the silken hair enveloping her head like a halo! Could she be real, this beautiful, still creature? Never had Kamazawa seen anything like her. He seemed a spirit of the lingering twilight. Suddenly he bent over her and softly touched the small hand that lay outside the coverlet. But as soft as was his touch, it acted like an electric shock upon the woman. She started and quivered as her heavy lids lifted. At the little face bending over her, she stared. A strange expression came into her face. Her voice was like that of one murmuring in a dream. A little white boy, she said. A little white. Her lips were stilled. But a breath, a sigh passed from her as Comer, with a sudden instinctive motion, put his face down to hers. When Aoi gently drew the boy up, she found the still, white face softly smiling in the twilight, as though ere she slept she had seen a vision. But Komazawa knelt by the bedside, weeping passionately. 